Good morning to everyone. Uh, this is the class on parenting, so if that's not where you intended to be, as I say, this is the least embarrassing time to get out and walk away, but uh, yeah, so we'll spend the next hour, we're willing, talking about that. Um, my name is Dave Sutton. I serve as one of the elders here. Shannon, my wife Shannon and I have been married for uh, 30, almost 30 years, been members here for a couple of years. We've got three kids. It's just who we are, so, so you know. Um, let me pray for us before we get started. Heavenly Father, we need your new mercies every morning. Um, as your children, certainly as parents, um, we pray that you would give us a fresh view of your love for us, your perfect love for us as our Father. Um, let us reflect that well to our children. Um, give us wisdom, give us strength, uh, help us to see clearly what you have for us in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, parenting is weighty. I think anybody... I know anybody, if, if you have kids, you, you feel it, right? And I, I get that feedback, you know, after the classes, it's, it's weighty. Um, a fair number of us, we, you know, we feel that way. So I want to start with just a few encouragements along that journey that aren't necessarily related to our topic today, which is in our instruction of our children, uh, words to their hearts, but just a few things, a few little statements to help us. First is God loves your children more than you do. So when you're concerned about or for them or your performance. God knows and he loves them even more than you do, if that's a mad, you can imagine that. Um, second, a wise and good God sovereignly chose which parents to give your kids. So a, a tangent to that is this is not about you. And I'm speaking to myself, right? We tend to think that our parenthood experience is about us because I'm the parent and I want to know how to parent. They're other human beings created in God's image, and you're a part of their story. Just like you think of your parents. I'm 50. My parents were the biggest part of my story now for a minority of my life, less than half my life. And there's been so much more. I, I'm very thankful for all my parents did, and it's a good thing. But this is their, they're another human being, and we're stewarding them up into adulthood. Um, and God knew exactly who he wanted them to have as parents, and that's you, if you're feeling discouraged. Um, the measure of success in your parenting is not how your children turn out. The measure of success in parenting is your faithfulness to obey the commands of God to parents. And spoiler alert, you will not do that well and you will have to repent. But when that discourages you, think, here's, a, here's an even bigger encouragement. Think of another area in your life when you, that you have done perfectly. Have you been a perfect spouse, a perfect child, a perfect worker, a perfect friend? No, you have, we have disobeyed God's commands to all of those, in all of those spheres in all of our life, and parenting is no different, right? And we have His grace, right? But that's not, your kids fail, your kids turn out good or bad, that's not the measure of your success. We're aiming at obedience and faithfulness. Um, and then the last one, God saves, right? God saves, not us, right? And we need to remember that. So that's free. That's also on the back of your handout, too, so if you're writing feverishly, you can stop. So, um, so with those in mind, though, let's uh, get to our topic today, which is how do we intentionally instruct our children, our words to their hearts? Um, before we dive into that, just pause for a minute and think about our target. So our aim when we're instructing our children is specifically their hearts. And I think, so, I think most in here have heard this. You know, we can aim at behavior, we can aim at the heart. If you've read Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, he talks about that dynamic a lot. I think that's, that's not always a helpful dichotomy. It's not an either or. So those things aren't mutually exclusive. 
So I think it's helpful for us to realize we shouldn't think that as we're, if we correct a behavior that we're not also instructing their hearts in that process, right? It's just um, you know, we're aiming at the whole person. So our lesson today on instructing their hearts is not contradicting anything that we've said about addressing their behavior, which we have to do. Uh, the point is that we're to be thinking about the foundational and fundamental aspects of, of life and what we're aiming at when we correct behavior or when we instruct them. The whole thing is that we're aiming at the whole of their life, trying to shepherd them, if you, to use that analogy. Um, on their path, we, we pray to, to knowledge of the Lord and, and following Him. So we are aiming at the heart, right? Scripture teaches that the heart is the control center for life. Um, person's life is reflective of what's in their heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The behavior that someone, including our children or us, exhibit right, is a window into the, into the heart. Um, and this understanding is crucial, obviously, for child rearing. It, it reminds us that behavior is not the fundamental issue. Right? The basic, the most fundamental issue is always going to be kind of getting at their heart. Um, we get sidetracked with, we can't get sidetracked with behavior, right? It's understandable because the thing that alerts us to our, child, our child's heart's need of instruction right, was this behavior that is exhibited in front of us. Um, and so we want to correct the unacceptable behavior and then go back to what we were doing. Problem solved, right? Yeah, if only, right? So our, our children, our child's needs, our children's needs are far more profound and I think we all realize that, and deeper than that, their bad behavior doesn't just spring forth uncaused uh, or from nowhere. The things that they say and that they do are reflective of what's in their heart. And so if we're going to really help them, we have to be concerned with the attitudes in, of the heart that drive that behavior. Um, and for that matter, we need to teach our own hearts. Um, I think we're all, we've all felt, I know I feel, whether I teach it or sit through it, I feel conviction. I've been going to parenthood or parenting equipping hours for a long time, and I feel convicted in every single one, right? Um, you know, so I think it's important for us, though, to feel that and to ask ourselves, okay, what does our obedience look like? You know, this is, shepherd our own hearts. Do, do we do what we're told, when we're told, with a happy heart? You know, um, no, not always. Do we pout and disengage if we're frustrated or angry? Um, that sin we keep looking back to, what is that springing from in our hearts? Um, it's a good reminder, I think, that the more earnestly we deal with our own sin, right, the better equipped we're going to be to help our children deal with their sin. So instead of going, okay, how can I get this kid to fix? Let's start here, right? And then let that overflow come to the instruction of our children. So today, um, we're talking about how, just really how to be intentional, how to put some framework and some intentionality around the instruction of our children as that as a, as a goal of our, of our parenthood. So you can see them on the handout there. Pretty simple. Why do we instruct? What do we instruct? How do we instruct? And when and where? So we'll just kind of step through each of those four things and we'll pause a couple of time for questions. So why do we instruct? And you can see it there. We have two basic answers. Um, the first reason we do that is we image God when we instruct our children. God is a communicator. It is his nature to reveal himself, um, in particular, with words. Right? God's scripture is God speaking to us, right? And God wants us to know him, even more than our sacrifice. Hosea 6, right? For I desire steadfast love um, and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Doesn't mean he doesn't want our obedience, 
but he's, he wants us to know him and he, he reveals himself to us. Um, so to know, to be known, to relate, to share, to express, to pass on knowledge, these are all the list of things that we do because we're made in God's image. Right? And so if that sounds a little academic, you're like, okay, that, yes, I'm in God's image, I should teach. Why, why is that important to me in this parenthood? I think among many other things, it reminds us that we're not just like wolves in a pack. We don't just, you know, we don't just nip the youngsters into submission uh, to establish a social order. We're living souls, and God has introduced us to other living souls that he's created and asked us to nurture and teach them in his knowledge, right? So that's a good lead in, I think, to the second answer to the question, why we instruct is because God has commanded us to. He's given us these souls as stewardships and now he's commanded us to instruct them, right? I think one of the best parenting job descriptions, I'm sure you're familiar, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Interesting, there's, this, there's that start with us, right? That's his commands to Israel. Then he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So parents are commanded to instruct the truths of God to our children. Um, it's a pretty weighty command, um, and it's serious, and it has serious implications. Um, just listen to this brief account. Judges 2, Israel had just taken possession of the promised land, seen God's promises, you know, fulfilled in astounding ways, and listen to what happens. Judges 2, this is verses 10 and 12. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers. Just think about that. They, they neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Like, how could the very next generation not know what God did and turn to idols? Apparently, nobody taught them, right? Um, we as parents are charged with the responsibility of passing on that truth to our kids. Um, we're, the primary, we're the primary means God uses to communicate that truth to the next generation. Not Sunday school teachers, not pastors. As important as they are, as much as we want, I, I love my children to be exposed to good Sunday school teaching, we are the primary means God has ordained for that, for that knowledge to be passed on. So we instruct because that's in God's nature to, to, to pass on, to communicate, to talk, to, to reveal himself. And he's commanded us to be the primary means that he's going to use to open their eyes. Back to our opening encouraging statements. God saves. God opens eyes. Um, I've, been listening to, I've been listening to um, uh, Michelle, uh, Rachel McLaughlin's book, Confronting Christianity. And it's a really good treatment of various arguments against Christianity and kind of how we would answer and understand those and everything. And there's so many times when I'm listening to it and it seems so obvious. Like, of course, how could you not think this? It's so obvious. It's because the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, and only the Holy Spirit opens eyes. Yeah, and that's applicable to us. We, we teach, how can you not understand you know, that to obey me is the best thing for you? Or name the, name the principle that you've tried to impress upon your children. How can, they, because the Holy Spirit's got to do that work in their heart. 
right? We're, we're, the, we're sowing, right? He's, he's got to bring the life. So, but we do it because, again, we're commanded. Not because, not because how well we do it is, is guaranteeing one, act, one sort of outcome or the other, but because God has said, here's what I want you to do. And we do that in faith. So, so that's why we do it. And there are many other reasons. Then, of course, the second one then is what? Um, there's a lot that our kids need to learn from us. So uh, everything from basic hygiene um, to dating to everything you need to function in this world, right? But you know, more fundamentally, what are we aiming at, right? What do I really want for my kids? Um, and I think it's good for us to kind of just step back and go, all right, what am I, what am I trying to communicate? What am I trying to accomplish as a parent? Um, yeah, well, as Christian parents, we have to have one supreme objective for our children, right? That they know and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, right? And he said, those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that's God's will for his children, and that's what we want desperately for our kids. I trust everybody here has prayed that for their, for their kids, or you will uh, if the Lord blesses you with children in the future. Um, we want them to know him and to be conformed to his image. Um, well, a couple things are necessary for Christian maturity, right? Two basic things, Holy Spirit, the Scripture. That's pretty easy. And we can't impart the Holy Spirit, so that pretty much leaves us with one option, right? We impart the Scriptures. So the Scriptures are indispensable for Christian maturity, um, and it's our task as parents to impart them to our children and use them with our children. So Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It guides, it's going to guide them through life. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's a powerful tool in, in, in the hearts of our children as it is in ours, right? And we all scriptures God breathed, all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Sounds like kind of what we're trying to do as parents, right? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we have to teach them we have to teach them the scriptures. Um, the scriptures convict. The scriptures help them distinguish between good and evil. The scriptures introduce us to God. It's his revelation of himself to us, show us how to image him faithfully, um, and teach us the gospel. And that's what we want for, his, for our children. So we've got to teach them the word and the principles of the word. And I think that, that ties in with you know, the lesson on, on uh, physical, on, on discipline, on behavior. Um, it's part of their nature, it's part, this is all part of their, our, our work and obedience is not just teaching external conformity. It's aiming at their hearts. And it's part of their nurture and admonition in the Lord that we're commanded to give to them. Um, we, I think we've established this, but it's worth saying again, it is insufficient and even deadly, deadly to merely teach our children just to act like Christians. Um, we teach the scripture and we pray that it will permeate their hearts. Um, confident that God's word possesses the power to transform our kids and their hearts, um, but we don't, we're not aiming to create little Pharisees, little people who know what to say, the answer to the questions, but don't know him personally. And you can, you're, all through this, you're going to feel that tension. Yeah, that's what I want, but you can't ultimately make it happen, right? But it's not going to happen if all we do is nip at them and make them stay in line, right? The word is what brings life. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So that's the tool that we need to wield in order to aim at that in, in their lives. Um, 
So it's not in the handout there, but I think a good, a good framework for what we're teaching, I didn't get any specific in, in different ages, I think a good way to kind of view it is from about zero to five, the initial years of their life, we're teaching them to be under authority. That's what they're learning. You are, you are a creature under authority. And we model that and we teach them that. Um, and there's a lot that goes to that. These, these aren't the only, but then six to 11, we're teaching them knowledge. Now they're starting, that's when you pack it in. Um, you, you've, we've all seen how kids can memorize things like so fast, right? That's the time to be like getting the Bible in their heads, packing it in there so God can unpack it later, right? And then ages 12 plus, we teach them wisdom. Now we take all that knowledge and as we're unpacking it, we're like, uh, how do we use this now? We've all put this in here. So you just, those are kind of, that's kind of a large framework for how we're approaching our kids at these ages. And it doesn't have to be like, we're going to teach all of those things at all times because as they become teenagers, they need to learn that they're people under authority or relearn it, right? But this, if you lay that foundation, at least there's something there that you're appealing to is better to redo it later, right? Um, so that's a good framework. I'll pause there. Any questions or comments or anything on any, either of those on the why? Yeah, I'm not Diana. Right. Yeah, yeah, for the recording, the question was, what do we think about Bible storybooks? Um, we use them. Um, the, the, it's obviously, how good are they? Uh, so, yeah, for a three-year-old, we had, we had storybooks that told, faithfully told the stories of Scripture, but in much simplified language. Um, so I, 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 I wish I had thought about I did, some of the titles we use, but you can email me later or anything. But in general... Uh, in general, I'm not going to say, no, you shouldn't use Bible storybooks. Only read the actual Bible to your, to your preschoolers. I don't, think we ha I don't think we have to do that. Um, I'll caveat that. Well, let me, let, me, let, me start. let me start. I don't think we have to do that. So Bible storybooks are good, and we've gone through them with our kids. There are good ones out there that are pretty faithful, just, you know, just condensed or you know, very top level, and sort of give them the, the overview of the Scripture. And so they kind of start learning the sweep of the scriptures. Um, there are some that are that are bad and awful, and like we had one, I don't know where it came from, but we were going through old kid books, and we pulled open one on our shelf, and it had something about like the unicorn in Eden or something. We were like, what? And that one went in the trash immediately. So like, yeah, look through them and make sure they're good. I have no idea. When you gave that to, no, none of you gave that to us because it was old. But anyway, um, I'll caveat that with, kids can understand a lot more than you give them credit for. Um, and if they, from a very early age, are hearing you read the words of Scripture, yeah, they're not going to get much. I mean, how many things have we learned after we were 40 or 50? We're like, wow, I never saw that before. I mean, good grief. We're going to be unpacking the Word our whole life. So if you read something to them when they're five and they don't quite get it all, uh, that's fine. You know, they're, they're, the Word is becoming a part of their life and it's in there and they're hearing it. And the Holy Spirit may be using even, even you know, grown-up Bible um, to teach them things and to get to stir their hearts. So, to answer your question, Mr. Hart. Um, yeah, so to say something I think kind of relates to, to that question, but um, one, of the, one of the best ways that we can teach the scriptures to our kids is by studying it ourselves. If we're not in the Word, mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not applying ourselves to learn, to, to understand it, to apply it. Down and tell your kids, this is what the Bible says, but then look at you and you're like, well, I don't see that in doing it. 
Amen. Right. And there are there. Are, I'll go back and look at some titles if you shoot me an email. But there there are some that are um, more for kids, but probably further than we would think for a three year old. That might be good for a three year old. You know. So you can. So to your point, Josh. Yeah. Number one, you can you can't teach something you don't know. So you can. I can take a lesson on molecular biology and and read it to you guys. But that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be able to shepherd you in that, in your career in that or something. It's the same thing. If we don't, if we don't know our scriptures and they haven't permeated our lives, we're not going to be able to impart that to them. We can read it. That's good. But they can get that anywhere. Um, and yeah, it harkens back to the lesson on repentance. If they don't, if, if we, how can we tell them they need to repent of sin if they've never off, watched us do it? When they know we've sinned against them. <laughs> you know, so same thing with the word. They, they, we, if we sit there and read this word to them, and they go, "Wow, that's funny. I don't see much of that." Like kids aren't kids aren't stupid, so that's a good point. Others, Levi. Right. And there wasn't even the instruction, but how do you pass along the instruction with this is an amazing God and these are the realities and um, right. I think Josh's comment is the, the best answer to that. We have to feel it ourselves. I can't convey something I don't feel. You know what I mean? And so I need to be steeped in the wonder of what God has done for me, how he's working in the world. Um, that's, the first, that's the first and most fundamental step. Um, and then pray for intentionality in that. Um, I pray the Lord will help me not to get just distracted with the day because that's, that, that's my problem. I get in the day and I got work and I, uh, people are bugging me even though this weekend about something I got to do on Monday and it's just, we go through the day and we like, oh yeah, we need to have devotions, get over here, you know, as opposed to, Lord, help me to see you through the day, you know, break through my busyness and really, you know, show me so that I can feel that and just mention that to my children and, you know, uh, especially get with your wife and say, hey, let's remind each other to be, con- to be uh, conscientious and, and intentional about just Pointing out something about what the Lord did today, you know. Um, you could establish that at dinner as the kids get older. One thing we're going to do at dinner is go, what's something you saw God do today? You know, and some days you're not going to get as much as others, but that's a good, maybe that's a practice. Something to keep it, any little thing to kind of keep it regular and intentional in our lives. But it has to flow from what we're seeing him do in our own lives as well, you know. Anything else? Little, it can be, so, sorry, it can be little things. Like fall, like whoa! Isn't that awesome that God made like our whole world just like turn colors 
every year, you know, so that kind of thing. We've done that. I do that with like steak or like really good food and I'm like, God made a world <laughs> that can, t you can take stuff off of it and turn it into this, you know, like that's awesome. You know, that's, that's his love for us, you know, just little things like that can instill that in them that, yeah, we're lit. God is over every little bit of our, he's in everything in our life. He's, he's, he created it all, right? So, yeah. All right. So we'll move along. We talked about why briefly, talked about uh, what, uh, and there's a lot more obviously to the what, right? This is framework kind of stuff. We've, a lot of these other lessons touch on exactly what, you know, and that's why we, that's why we join a healthy church, right? Because we can talk with brothers and sisters who are in the same situation or a little further than, than us in the situation go, how do you teach? Right? There's all these little details and everything, but we're talking about big picture here. So, and then our third question is how do we instruct? We'll spend a little more time here. Um, and Josh, being the expert that he is, said, you know, let us, with a perfect segue into that first point on this one, which is we instruct with our own lives, right? Ephesians, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as, as wise. We want to be able to say, we want to be able to say, like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, we're focusing on instruction, but it is, it is literally impossible to overstate the impact um, that our lives have on the credibility of our words and on the instruction that our children are gaining from us. And obviously, we're, we're wanting to point them to the perfect father, right? That's why we have to repent sometimes. And we're like, I'm not the perfect father, am I? There is one perfect father. Let's both look to him. You know, so it's going to flow fundamentally from our life. But with regard to our intentional instruction, with our words, um, we tend to reduce parenting to kind of three elements. You see them written there? So we, we, we give the rules, and we correct for violation of the rules, and then we, and then we punish. We, we meet out the appropriate punishment. So we are the lawgiver, and then we're the cop, and then we're the warden. Right? So the lawgiver, you give your children the rules, don't get out of bed. Right? Cop, you police for the rules, you look inside. Why are you playing with your dress-up clothes when I told you not to get out of bed? Right? And then, warden, we enforce the sentence handed out for the infraction. Now, daddy has to give you discipline. You know what I mean? So, every family needs rules and correction and punishment. So let's not, you know, throw, we're not throwing that out. Um, but, there are so many other dimensions of our communications to our children um, that are too little employed um, by all of us in shepherding them. So in addition to rules and correction and discipline, we need things like rebuke or encouragement, or warning, and teaching, and prayer. Right? So listen, at 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says that we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So warn, encourage, help, be patient. So one thing we get from that verse, among many things, is right, different occasions and different hearers call for different tools and different approaches. So how many times the answer is many. Have I pulled out ser Parenting Sermon 241, you know, and launched into the, my, you know, didactic, uh, you know, ex escapade with my kid, and they really needed me to just listen to them for a minute, right? Or they needed me to ask a question first, and then listen. And then maybe there was a different sermon that was applicable. I don't know, but you see the point there. We just, we need, there are different tools that we need. And how many times have we rebuked a child for laziness, maybe with homework, or cleaning their room or something when they needed some instruction at that, at that time, 
right? And so let's just kind of go through some of these other ways we can communicate with our kids. And of course, we need to look at, we need to go to God for wisdom in using all these. But first is rebuke. So a rebuke censures behavior, right? Sometimes a child needs to sense our dismay and more importantly, God's displeasure, right? At what they've said or done, right? Think about how Nathan approached David. You are that man. If God gave you this, and if that wasn't enough, he would have given you more, right? He, he gave him a rebuke, right? Or Paul with the Galatians. I'm astonished that you're so quickly leaving this first, the faith you had, right? So there's a sense in which um, there are things that are appropriate for a rebuke of sin. Um, in our house, um, in particular, lying and disrespecting mommy were like particularly cardinal sins and got a very, like, all stop, this is your mother and my wife, and you won't speak to her that way. Like, we rebuke those things strongly. Um, so you know, the, that's, there are times, there's a place for a rebuke of sin. Remember, this is in the context of instruction. So let's not use, well, sometimes God needs to feel your displeasure at your sin as an excuse for us to rant, right, or vent on our kids, you know. And Shannon has many times said, I think you're a little harsh, you know, with that turn. And that might... My first reaction is, this is serious, right? Yeah, like I need to, I, I, I have a right to be indignant and they need to feel this indignance it's for God, right? Well, no, not, not if I'm honest, right? That doesn't mean though that I, that I haven't been right in earnestly telling them this, the seriousness of what they've done. This is, what were you thinking? You know, serious, you know, that, so that's a place for rebuke. Let's just not use it as an excuse for us to rant and vent, so. Um, Second, encouragement. Probably the most, the single most underused tool in our toolbox, right? And probably the most powerful, sadly. Um, after a day when you could swear those kids were like holding conference in their room on how we can, what other ways can we get that mom? You know? <laughs> like, I know they're up there doing that, right? Um, that can be hard, right? But look for ways to encourage them. Um, acknowledge a good effort even if it, wasn't, it didn't turn out well, right? Um, tell, remind them that you love them. Randomly tell them something you like about them. You know, try hard to notice a little thing that they did that was good and not, you know, yes, they should obey because they were told to obey. But when they do, encourage that, right? It's, it's not wrong, you're not undermining yourself by encouraging them to, hey, that was great, thank you for obeying. And we're like, well, yeah, you're supposed to obey. Sometimes we obey because, you know, that's, yeah, encourage them. Give them some encouragement. Be on the lookout for sign, little signs of grace in their life and point those things out. You know, we like to have that done. Um, you know, how has our heart leapt right, um, in reading or hearing someone preach about God's love for us? Right? You shall no more, Isaiah, 60, Isaiah 62 verse 4, you shall no more be termed forsaken, but you shall be called, my delight is in her. Think about that, God delights literally delights in us, us, right? And yet, that's what we're mirroring to our kids, delight in them, right? Not just when they're asleep and looking innocent and beautiful and our hearts are melting, but delight in our children, right? And try to let them hear that. How, how encouraging has that been for us? How encouraging it would it be for them? So in, use encouragement liberally. You can't overuse good biblical encouragement, so. Um, third, teaching. The process of providing a lesson um, a precept, right, or some information that's going to help their, our children um, understand and function in their world, right? So as we're the main means by which God is moving our kids from complete ignorance, right, 
to knowledge of the word and the world and, the, and his wisdom, right? So I think a lot of times we tend to get in a bit of a defensive posture with parenting and we do spend a lot of time, we're correcting, we're, punishment, we're punishing, we're just managing. Um, but it's helpful to think about instruction as another main tool of, of our parenting generally. Um, you know, when our kids do poorly in an area, one of the first questions ought to be, it took me a while to grasp this, like what, what have I taught them about that? You know, I'm talking about like you go in there and you pick your age, little kid, and you ask them to tidy up their room and it's still a mess. Well, I don't, when I look at my garage, I kind of get overwhelmed. Like it takes me a little bit, you know? And so maybe, they're, maybe they need some techniques. Like here, let's do this, let's, whatever you think. Let's do one part of the room at a time, okay? Let's just do this part, okay, good. Or wh whatever, it, maybe it's just instruction on how you clean up your room. Maybe it's instruction on whatever it is that you ask them to do. How, how do you want the room vacuumed? Okay, well do it and show them how you want to vacuum one. Just, those are just lots of examples. But um, instruction, like encouragement, we need to use instruction often and frequently. We're not just, again, not just declaring the rules and then you'll find out when you disobey the rules what happens so you won't do it the next time. We're instructing them, we're teaching them. This is why, this is how. This is how it looks. This is how you do that, all right, as, as we're maturing them in life. Um, warning, another one. Warnings put our children on guard against a probable danger, right? A warning is not a threat, it is merciful speech, right? It's the equivalent of posting a sign, right, before the bridge, the, the bridge is out. Um, Proverbs 14, 23, all hard work brings a profit but mere talk leads only to poverty. That's a warning, right, as you go about your life, and what, what will and what won't happen. Um, so here, just an example of a helpful warning, because this is another one that I've had to work on. So we ask our children to actually stay in their bed, right, there's that one, and, and sleep during nap time. And so we'll say, little one, you got out of your bed yesterday during nap time, so if you get out of bed, if you get out of bed again today, we're gonna have to give you discipline, right? That's an appropriate warning. Right, remind, okay, this is what's happening. Now we're gonna go do this thing. Problematic warning. Do you want a spanking? Right, which is kind of like the ultimate rhetorical question, right? Do not ever ask your kids if they want a spanking, right? So, um, or another example, your children's disobeying in some instruction you gave them, and so you say, I told you not to do that. Now if you do it again, you're gonna get some, you know, then you're gonna have to have a consequence, right? So, if, like we said, this is not, that's a, that's a threat. Right? If they were disobeying you, then they should be getting a punishment now. Not some threat that you're really gonna get it to them if they do it again, because I'm gonna tell you again, you should, so there's a difference. So a warning is deliberate. And that's the thing, it's important even, uh, I think, just think before you say something, right? And think what you've done already. You know? So a warning says, hey, we had this yesterday, or here's a principle, let's, as we go into this, let's think, right? As opposed to, Better, better, uh, you better straighten out or you're gonna get it, right? You can see the difference between a biblical and an unbiblical warning, right? So warnings are meant to avoid sin, right? Not correct it. Um, our children grow. Uh, warnings will come as we see them straying, um, as we see them heeding enticements of the world, right? It can even turn into entreaty, right? Earnest, intense communication. Um, the the father or mother pleading with, their child, you know, and understanding them and understanding the way of God and the need of this moment, willing to kind of bear their soul in earnest pleading for them to act in, in wisdom and in faith. Um, 
You know, and as, like I said, it's deliberate. We don't, we don't warn you know, or rebuke our children over spilt milk or foolishness, right? Um, we, we warn over things that we see in their hearts and things we see coming in their lives and things that we've experienced. Don't be afraid to tell your kids, I did that and it turned out very badly, right? Don't do what I did, take a warning, right? So that we can use our own experience and that's real again in our, in our children's lives. So one final, one final uh, how uh, in our, or was this the how? I always mix up where we're talking. Was this how or when or what? No, this is the how. These are the what's, right? Or the how, sorry. Warning. And then the last one is prayer. Um, prayer is not necessarily direct instruction to your children, but it is instructive. Um, and I think it's a key element of our teaching our children about God and about ourselves. Um, a child can see a child can see a parent's heart even as they see them entreating their God. Kind of to your question, Levi, you know, how do we communicate this to them? They see us praying, um, and we sh- so we should be deliberate about praying with them and even around them so they can see that, right? How many, I've heard numerous stories about people who were significantly affected in life um, by hearing their parents praying regularly. Like, I'm sure somebody in here knows, yeah, every time I came down in the morning, my mom was praying for me, you know, so, something like that, right? It's powerful. Um, Susanna Spurgeon um, was testifying about her husband's leadership in family worship. Uh, This is what Susanna Spurgeon said about Charles Spurgeon's prayers. She said, He seemed to come as near to God as a little child to a loving father. And we were often moved to tears as he thus talked face to face with his Lord. That's powerful. So, clarify, we're not all Charles Spurgeons. I don't think I've moved anybody to tears with my prayers. Uh, Maybe out of boredom, who knows. But... um, but, but, you can't make that an auto excuse. Like, there are some remarkable people throughout history, but that they're setting an example for us, and they're teaching, we should be learning from those examples, not, not dismissing those because, well, not everybody can be a Spurgeon. Okay, yeah, I'm fine. But everybody can pray earnestly before their God in front of their family and demonstrate their neediness for Him, right? Our praying with our children teaches them, right, that mom and dad are people under authority. That's what we're trying, remember, zero to five? It shows them that we're under authority, um, that God is the one to turn to in our needs, uh, that we live lives of faith on and on. That's what we're teaching our children as we pray with them and we pray for them and we pray in their hearing for others and with others. Um, So just to summarize all that, you've heard the line, you know, if the only tool you have in your tool belt is a hammer, every problem tends to look like a nail, right? So as parents, we want to develop a rich tool belt, right? So that we have the right tool in the right situation um, and we need to avoid being merely lawgiver, cop, warden, right? And want to be a coach, encourager, challenger, leader, teacher, partner, even as they get older, right? Friend, walking alongside them, you know, right? In our, in, our, in our mutual trip to heaven. Um, just one more quick th- thought on the how to instruct. Um, since I, yeah, I think we've got time here. Consider when you have a monologue with your child and when you're having a dialogue, right? So there are times that we need to instruct or entreat or warn and they need to listen. Like that should be their basic posture. So there's, I'm not, there's not, there is room for monologues. But there are also times and probably more times than we take advantage of, times we need to talk with them, um, ask questions, understand what's going on in their heart. Is there some, you know, sometimes you might not get anything, but that's, we need to start, that needs to be our posture. Why did you do that? Was something going on today? 
What happened that you were, what do you think's in your heart that's making that happen, as opposed to launching into sermon number 247, right? So um, my tendency is to launch into the dialogue, into the, into the monologue. That's just because my ire has been raised and I see the principles clearly and I know exactly what it is that they need to get out of this situation and off I go, you know what I mean? And once in a while, maybe that's appropriate if my heart's right, but some t- more, probably more times than I realize a dialogue is actually appropriate. So just be aware of that. Um, and your kids will tend, I think kids will tend to tune out if all they just get is, ah, here we go, all right, they'll endure the speech and then they, they can go, as opposed to engaging them and dialoguing with them. So questions or comments on that section? I, yes, ma'am. Right. Um, I think that obviously your children will fear us. Mm-hmm. Is that a fact? Like, is that something that you cultivate and help them raise? Right. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. The question is basically how should our children fear us in the same way that our, that we fear the Lord? You know what I mean? And I think that that's the 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 way to uh, think about it that it is helpful in understanding that the answer to that, I think, is yes. Um, but we don't fear the Lord in a craven way. We shouldn't, right? But I fear his displeasure. Like, I, I feel the weight of my sin, even though I know I'm forgiven of it. Like, I don't want the discipline that I know a loving father is going to bring me if I, do, if, if I sin, Hebrews 12, right? He disciplines us because he's a loving father. Um, and, and there's an awe in him. There's, there are times when we are just drawn to him in love because we just see his love as a father and what he's done for us in the gospel. And there's times when he's just awesome, right? And I fear him. Now, we're not that awesome, right? But there is a, God, God is mirroring that relationship in the child and parent relationship. And so they should have a fear of discipline and they should have a kind of respect that while they'll run up into your lap and call you mommy, they should still fear your displeasure and not want, you know, and understand that, oh, if, if I disobey them in love, they're going to discipline me and that will be unpleasant. And I, you know what I mean? And they will be unhappy with that act. And that might even affect our fellowship. They're not thinking this at three or at two, but that's sort of the, the paradigm that we're in. And so I think um, how you teach that explicitly is a little harder um, because it, especially with younger kids, you should fear us. Don't you fear me? You know, that's, that's not quite what we're after. But I think consistent, consistent discipline, consistent loving discipline is probably one of the best ways to kind of instill that because the discipline is unpleasant, but it's loving. And so they, they can, kids can figure that out, right? They know if you're, if you're spanking because you're mad, right? If, you're ever mad, if you ever want to spank, don't, right? That's a good maxim, right? They know when that's coming. But if they see that we're just, we're trying, you know, they might not be happy about it, all that kind of stuff. But if the pattern is loving discipline, that's probably one of the best ways to cultivate, to start growing that kind of fear. And that different kids are different. Some kids just learn that a lot harder than other kids. So, any other thoughts on that, Josh?
Yeah. Primarily my dad. Right? <laughs> um, but I thought about that. I said, there's no way I would do that in that home because I would have received some kind of consequence. And and I thought about that. I said, man, I wish my kids would respond that way too. But at the same time, I was like, well, actually, no. Because the only thing that kept me from doing that thing at that moment was because I did not want my, my parents to punish me. Right. And so what that created in me is a desire and a creativity in my sin to be able to get away with it without sure. yeah. hurting them. <laughs> right. But I think one of the things that, that's really important here is to be like we're reading scripture, honor your father and your mother, mm-hmm. which is the first commandment with the promise that they live long in the land. Right? There is a, an element of children obeying their parents, caring and respecting them that is in one way how they honor Mm. Right, it's it's less about us, more about that's for sure. Right, with him. and so I think the earlier we can we can kind of help our kids see that you, yes, you do have to do what mom and dad say. Um, at, that from time to time, there will be consequences for that, but that's in an effort to point them towards how do you love the Lord mm. honoring my spirit in this way. Right, right. So, no, I think that's a good corrective. For those on the recording, sorry, just talk to Josh Hart. But anyway, uh, I can't repeat all of it, but that's, it's not, you fear us and like we fear God. They need to understand that obeying you is obeying God. That's, that's another, now what if they don't fear God? You know, that's just something we're going to continue to pray for, continue to work on. Um, and yes, consequences have to be, there is a, there is a place for discipline. God disciplines us. You see, when you did that, bad things happen. So don't do those bad things. That's, that's, sim- that's simplistic, and that's not all. There's a piece for that. But then, yes, it's in the context of, no, we're, we're moving toward the Lord. You know, this, is, we're, this is how we serve Him. I want, we want to model for them uh, as well as instruct them in a desire to please God. That's why we do this. You know what I mean? I'm, I might not be there. You might get away with that. God tests the hearts. God's eyes are on us in all times, and we're all serving Him. Kind of thing. So that, taking that together. Um, the, the shorter answer is you can't, the Holy Spirit will bring them fear of the Lord and fear of their parents. We model fear of the Lord. We instruct about fear of the Lord. We bring discipline in obedience to God's commands, and then we pray, right? So, yes, sir. Yes. And then this incident was at the end of the night, and, and Jordan was like, "All right, now pray." So I mean, I mean, I know, but I didn't know at yeah. the same time. So in the, in the case where the kids are young and there's multiple times a day, how are you doing the discipline? Then separating, I think you touched on the repentance part, but like, mm-hmm. are you giving it some time to sit there? I mean, I might be doing 50 prayers in a given day if I was doing it every time. Right. So, yeah. Well. Maybe that's good. Maybe they hear 50 prayers that day, you know, <laughs> like there's, there's something to the faithfulness, right? You know, you don't, every single, I think if you read Shepherding a Child's Heart, who here has read Shepherding a Child's Heart? So a few people have read that. There are some sections in there where he gives like, for example, and then it's this like brilliantly worded thing about how they're hearts, and you're just like, ah, I can't even remember that, let alone do that, you know. So you, you don't have to launch into some grand, you know, great biblical lesson every time you have a discipline, right? It can just be, Jesus died for sinners like you and me, right? You know, let's ask him for forgiveness. You know, 
something as simple as that after a disciplined time, especially if it's happening a lot of times in the day. You know, um, I think is, was that is that getting at kind of what you're at? Like, what are we? You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and it depends on this is a longer conversation, but yeah, it depends on how your kids' hearts are, how they take that discipline. Some some kids melt. Some kids, you like, you know, the spoon gets shown and they're done. They're like, I'm repentant. You know, they still got to get it, but they're like, they're there. They understand they did it, and they just want the other kids kind of bow up a little bit and. You, then, then you kind of have to address that. Maybe that's going to be some time. Maybe it's more discipline, or you know, there's lots of there's lots of nuance there. But um, as far as yeah, praying with them, you know, maybe it's one little heart issue you see. Lord, help, you know, help her to help her to help her to see her anger when it comes, you know, and turn to you. Something like that, you know, just a little thing that we can pray. It could be anything. So yeah. All right. Well, so we talked. Um, we've talked about why. What, why, how, why, what, how, and now we're talking about when, when and where do we instruct. Um, remember Deuteronomy 6 that we read just a, that I read a, just a little bit before? Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Time to, so at home, along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, pretty much sounds like keep speaking of God and his commandments always and everywhere. So there you have it. I mean, that's, that's the big idea. But that's, we don't just read the scriptures and family worship and then put them down. But like we were saying before, we're, we're talking about these things throughout the day as we notice them, as we want them to notice them. So they're learning a habit of walking with Lord and under his, under his authority, right? In light of his word, in light of his revelation to us, in light of his love for us, all those things. So we can apply them all the time in all kinds of circumstances and situations and just pray ask the Lord to help you see those circumstances help each other see those circumstances you know encourage each other at church on little circumstances you you saw the Lord at work wow that can give that helps give the rest of us an idea on well, I could be looking out for that with my kids or whatever so use every opportunity at all times to teach our children that the scripture that the scriptures govern all of life right so um, so just to wrap it up Parenting is a giant act of faith, right? So our instruction and our communicating the truths of God to them, even our, our, our living that life before them, is sowing seed. That's what it's doing, but who gives the life? God gives the life, right? Um, if you've never read the story of Adoniram Judson, he was, uh, I would encourage you to if you haven't. He was uh, raised by a minister in the late 1700s. And early 1800s, graduated valedictorian from seminary, which was Brown University, ironically, now, if you know Brown University today. Um, when he was 19, valedictorian, um, through friends he met there at seminary, totally abandoned the faith. Basically ran off and lived wildlife of dissipation, pretty much, until some pretty amazing events kind of arrested his heart. And he ended up becoming the first American missionary from North, first, first missionary from North America to Burma. Um, did a number of amazing things, but it's just a great encouragement to godly parents, right, that um, it's the sovereign, gracious work of God in, in our lives, right, and in our children's lives. I don't think anybody, we, many people here might say, I, the, the, the example of my parents was, formate, was foundational in my life, was for, formative for me. I love the example. None of us would say, yeah, I got saved because my parents, 
right? We all have a story about how the Lord opened our eyes. And even if it was when we were young, we look back and go, yeah, the Lord just opened my eyes. The Holy Spirit regenerated me, right? And that's how it happens. So, you know, for that matter, reflect on some of the baptism testimonies we hear at church. It's not uncommon. Yeah, I was raised in a Christian home, but I wandered. I did this. I struggled with that. I came back, right? So, or high school. And, and every one of those ends with Ephesians 2.4, right? But God, right? And that's our hope. Not us, not our skill in parenting, not our rhetorical skills, you know, um, but our faithfulness with God's help, right? And then we trust and pray that he will open their eyes to the same truth that he's opened ours to, right? So don't give up. Be intentional about applying instruction to our children's lives. And then by grace, we wait and pray and trust him to bring the life. So any, let me pray for us. I'll be, I'll stay around for questions or comments if anybody wants to. Heavenly Father, thank you that, thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have given to open our eyes to your word. Lord, if we look back and answer the question, why were we saved and not another, we have no answer um, other than um, your sovereignty, your love for us. Uh, why indeed, Lord, would we be saved and not another? Um, because of your grace. And Lord, we pray that same grace for all of our children, Lord, that you would use these uh, the instruction that we give so haltingly at times and so imperfectly in times that you would use, be pleased to use that, Lord, as the tool to, to open and soften hearts, um, to open the eyes to the truth of you and to your reality and to your claims on their life and to your goodness and to your love as a father. Um, Lord, in all these things, help us to um, trust you. Um, sanctify us in this, Father. We need it as well. Um, we pray that you'd open our hearts and eyes to your word even more this morning as we hear it taught. Uh, be with Garrett as he preaches. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.